Welcome back, friends, to John Guest Remembers, the CCGF podcast chronicling the life and ministry of Pastor John Guest. If you are just now joining us, welcome. You can catch up with the rest of John Guest Remembers, both Season 1 and 2, and its parent podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our website. Head to ccgf.org podcast or wherever you find your podcast by searching for CCGF Talks. We continue this week with Pastor John's first years in ministry after his return to the U.S. from England. And what would become a vital year for him, John meets a man from Pittsburgh that changes the course of his ministry and a young lady that would change the course of his life. Thank you for joining us as John Guest Remembers. 1967 and 1968 were remarkable years uh, in, in my life and, of course, the lives of others that entered into relationship with me. For instance, running into Charles, that we became Jonathan and Charles, which led to the album, which led to a very high profile and the invitation to speak one way or in one place or another of some consequence. Uh, secondly, uh, one of the places I was invited to speak because of that album was at a college in Barrington, Rhode Island, where the other speaker, all these young men and women who were high school age in a two or three day conference, the other speaker was from Pittsburgh, his name Reed Carpenter. And uh, we were not responsible for anything other than to speak at this conference. In other words, we weren't running it. We weren't in on the planning or any of the other activities, which left us a lot of time between our talks to get to know each other. He uh, told me of this vision for Pittsburgh, to make Pittsburgh as famous for God as it was for steel. He was quoting a Reverend Sam Shoemaker who had been the rector at Calvary Episcopal Church in Pittsburgh, prior to that, Calvary Episcopal Church in New York City. He was a very high-profile Episcopal preacher nationwide and was well-published. Well, that vision for Pittsburgh caught my attention, and we spent time talking to each other, Reed Carpenter and I, which led to an invitation to come and interview in Pittsburgh later in 68, and our moving to Pittsburgh uh, at the, uh, toward the end of 68. And that's been our home ever since. We joined ourselves to that vision. One of my invitations to speak was at a Young Life Ranch in Colorado, and that would have been in June of 67, early June of 67. That came about through my playing my guitar and singing at a Young Life All-City Club in Philadelphia, where I was living. And in that uh, engagement, I played some songs and led them singing in some. And the leadership there invited me, they had the authority to do it, to come out to Colorado in summer of that year. And so I arrive at uh, Silver Cliff Ranch in Buena Vista, Colorado. And my first evening there, I sat down at a table and this pretty young 
lady came and sat across the table from me, who immediately had my attention. At that point, I was about age 30 and not looking for a date. I was really <laughs> looking for a wife to share my life and our, that together we might do ministry. And I asked after this young lady from some of the other staff. She looked like she was still in high school. Uh, Kathleen Heger. Uh, it turned out she'd graduated from college, was on staff with Young Life, and was the girl's work crew boss that year at the ranch. Well, I began to find out more about her, uh, and I didn't make any real moves other than to ask her if she could get time off and come and do evangelism with me at Rehoboth Beach later that summer in 67. Uh, she said her boss was going to be visiting her, the director of Young Life from Seattle in uh, Washington State, was going to be visiting her later that month, and she would ask him. Well, I went around all the other significant leadership of the ranch that summer and told them of my interest in Kathleen and also that she was going to be speaking to her boss about the possibility of joining me with some other young adults at Rehoboth Beach in Delaware to do evangelism. And she was going to ask, could she do it? I said, your responsibility, you've got to get to him, her boss, before she does, and be sure that the answer is yes, which in fact happened. The, the story of her chatting with him in that uh, interview was quite extraordinary because I did not know it at the time, but the week we met was a week that she should have been married to another man who uh, she had broken that off earlier that spring, but certainly that week in June was the week that they had put in the calendar to get married and the day that we met was the day she should have been married. I didn't find that out until, uh, oh, maybe a year or so later. Quite extraordinary. So they were talking about her career and where it was headed, and she was in Colorado at the ranch in preparation for moving to Denver, Colorado, with Young Life, having broken off the engagement with one of her other fellow staff members who was her supervisor actually in Seattle and so it became essential for her to move uh, just because of those relationships in Seattle and I met her in the middle of all this and so in talking to her boss she got permission to come to Delaware Beach and so later that year we met up again she flew out east from Seattle, and we spent two weeks together doing evangelism with a group of other young people with the Scripture Union organization for which I was working. And it, I would have to say that it was during that week, those two weeks, that we really fell in love. I wasn't looking just for a pretty girl. I wanted somebody of some spiritual substance who was serious about the Lord. And early in our two weeks together, we were meeting with the other students and young adults on the porch of the house in which we were staying for Bible study. We met that 
each morning for Bible study before we went out on the beach. And I with my guitar to round up other young people, and she was working with the children on the beach. In any case, one of the questions came up in the Bible study. How is it that God leads you through reading the Bible? Um, How does he speak to you through that? Well, that's a very complex question. I mean, the answer is not easy. But Kathy spoke up and said, in her own sweet, gentle way, it's not that God tells you to shop at this supermarket or get your gas at this gas station, but in reading his word, he sensitizes you to his leadership along the way. Well, that's a pretty profound answer, and I thought, my, there's more to this girl than just a beautiful face. And so it was. Uh, The weekend between the two weeks of ministry, I asked her if she would come with me to Philadelphia to meet my friends there, because we had the weekend off, and for them to meet her and tell me what they thought of her. And uh, they gave me the thumbs up as well. And it was that second week of this two weeks of evangelism that uh, we really kind of sealed our romance with a kiss, which Kathy has never forgotten and neither have I. In fact, I remember asking Kathy in the car that day, we were sitting on a bench seat of my old Chevy 2 looking out at the ocean one evening after the day's ministry was done, and I said, uh, would you mind if I kissed you? She said nobody had ever asked before whether, you know, I guess guys in America just assumed that you would kiss the girl if there was something going there. And of course she said yes. I shouldn't say of course, but she said yes. And so we had that first kiss. And uh, she's told me since then that she was gone after that. (laughs) And amazingly, uh, the follow-on to this is that she went back out west. So we had those two weeks together, and mostly in ministry. Not a whole lot of romance, uh, not a whole lot of conversation, but enough that I was really getting to know her and she getting to know me. But she went back out west and then went to a young life uh, ranch. It's not a ranch. It's a beautiful resort up in the... uh, Ooh, the Northwest is called Malibu, and it's a couple of days sailing to get in there on a ship. No, a one-day sail to get in there from uh, Vancouver. I've since been there, and it is a beautiful place in the Northwest. Anyway, uh, she was out of communication with me for several weeks because of that, because it was in the middle of nowhere and there weren't cell phones and cell towers anyway in that area. The next step for me was to get her, (laughs) sounds very manipulative, but was to get her back east to um, the only, I was traveling all the time. My calendar for 1967 wears me out just to look at it now. But I was a young guy, footloose and fancy free, and so I just traveled and I I could be at three or four different major destinations in a week uh, doing concerts or speaking. The calendar is jam-packed, but what had happened was this. Along the way, I was invited to go and be the soccer coach 
at Covenant College, a Presbyterian school on Lookout Mountain in Tennessee. There was this fellow, Stuart Briscoe, who was visiting here in the USA doing some speaking, later to become the pastor of this church in Milwaukee, which became a very large ministry. But he was speaking with the people at Covenant College, and they were looking for a one-season contract with somebody who could be a soccer coach. Well, Stuart knew of my being a soccer player back in England, and so he mentioned my name, and he thought I was in the USA and available, which in fact led to them finding out where I was working for Scripture Union, and they invited me to come down and interview to be the soccer coach. And so from September, toward the end of September, right through into early November, I would be in one place. I cancelled all my other arrangements and went there to be the soccer coach. My goal then was to try and get Kathy to come to Lookout Mountain, that we would have a couple of months really to get to know each other. And in fact, that's what happened. Uh, she realized in talking with one of her Young Life staff that moving to Denver, Colorado was not a good move because she clearly was in love with me. And unless she was prepared to spend two years in Denver, Colorado in ministry, it wasn't worth her while going to all that trouble, and especially Young Life going to all that trouble, to move her and for her to be there and then get married and leave. And so that set her free to come and spend those months with me on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. And that's where I proposed to her. She stayed in the home of one of the uh, female staff of the college, and I in the home of one of the male staff, two different families. But we had plenty of time for each other. She taught day school in the morning at a little uh, school in a Methodist church. I coached soccer all afternoon, uh, and then there were the games where we traveled to the games, and uh, that left us a lot of time for courtship, as we would call it in England. And so before the end of that time, I proposed to her. Uh, I remember going to the Methodist church, asking her to come and chat with me in the kitchen of the church, so she broke free from whatever it was she was doing. And I remember sitting her on a stool and saying, how would you like to spend the rest of your life with me? And she said to me, that wasn't exactly a proposal for marriage, but in fact, that's what it served as. And so she said uh, that she would. And so that's where we got engaged. Later that evening, we asked a couple out from the college. Uh, he was a professor there. Chuck Anderson and his wife, Flossie, uh, Kathy had stayed with them for several weeks as well. And uh, we asked them out to dinner to tell them of our engagement. Well, I didn't have a ring. I couldn't have, that, have afforded a ring at that point, as I recollect. But I had gone to a five and dime store and got this big emerald cut piece of glass for a few pennies. Uh, it couldn't have cost a couple of dollars. We put it on Kathy's finger. So here we are in this uh, very beautifully uh, romantically lit restaurant 
and Kathy and I are sitting across the booth from Chuck and Flossie Anderson, I say, we have something to tell you. And so I lifted up Kathy's hand and showed them the engagement ring, such as it was. Well, it would have cost a fortune, and they, Flossie already had big eyes, but when she saw that ring, they, they were the biggest saucers. But anyway, that was our first announcement that we were engaged. I'm sorry I don't have that ring. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to it, but it would have been a fabulous memento because later on that year, I got her the real thing, the real deal. So when we finished up uh, our time in, in Chattanooga, that's where Lookout Mountain is, Kathy went on home to North Dakota, which is where her family lived, Grand Forks, North Dakota, to prepare for getting married. We'd set a date, Thanksgiving of 67, so that didn't leave a whole lot of time for preparation. Friends of ours in Philadelphia, which is where we were going to get married, my mother coming over from England with a sister, Kathy's folks coming from North Dakota to Philadelphia, seemed a good thing to do, a good place to meet. Uh, for the wedding, and we uh, planned that marriage very quickly, and the Frearsons, Tom and Alice Frearson, were really paramount in making that happen. Uh, we had a lovely wedding in St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Germantown, Philadelphia, and headed out on our honeymoon from there. That was November the 24th, 1967. And that is over 50 years ago now. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on our Facebook page. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christ Church's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage, ccgf.org, or wherever you find your podcasts by searching for CCGF Talks. Thank you for listening. <laughs>